This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And welcome to the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. I am Don LaGreca. Monday means EJ Raddick. Well, usually. It didn't last Monday, but it does this Monday. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, usually. And so today is one of those usually. So happy to be. Now, what's more surprising to you? That the Devils are 4-0-1 against the Boston Bruins or that the Bruins in five games have yet to score a 5-on-5 goal? I guess that the Bruins haven't scored a 5-on-5 goal. <laughs> <laughs> Both are shocking, but, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but, you know, I think that the 5-on-5 goal is more of a shocking thing because we've seen, we've seen now that teams have had, you know, with this way we're doing it, playing out of these little pods or divisions of eight teams for the most part, seven in the north, and teams are playing each other all the time, that some of the teams have just had the other guy's number. And we've seen it throughout the league in the different divisions. So um, I guess the Devils have just had the Bruins number. And the funny thing is, Don, that the Bruins have a lot of Devils influence within their group. I mean, uh, Jay Pandolfo is an assistant coach. Jamie Langenbrunner is within their organization. Kevin Dean is part of their organization. I mean, they have really, you know, kind of as Lou Lamarillo years ago leaned on the, some of the Montreal connections and the winning uh, pedigree of the Lemaires and LaPerriere's and the Robinsons in their group. The Bruins have done some of that with the Devils, uh, kind of old Devils that were part of those great teams uh, in the late 90s and early 2000s. And oddly enough, the Devils have their numbers, so go figure. Yeah, it's it's incredible. And what an, what an ending. I mean, let's let's go take the stages. Yeah, of yeah. Yeah. Final couple of uh, couple of seconds, so the range, the Devils just desperately trying to hold on. All right, the goaltender interference. Your thoughts on that? Well, that's a tough one. I think uh, you know they take a good long look at it. They're not looking to take goals down, so you know. But I, I think that's one of those ones that was a really tricky one. Could have kind of gone either way. I, I think if you know, at the end of the day, for me, I, I think they got it right. But I could see where Bruce Cassidy and the Bruins people weren't weren't happy, but. That's a tough one, and, uh, you know, the play at the end of the game, I mean, good luck trying to figure that out. I mean, it, it, it just the whole puck has to be over the line, and it's hard to really get a grasp on if it ever was. I mean, if, if I had to say one way or the other, I would, I would say I think it got all the way over the line, but, I, but there's no way to be definitive about that. So, thus, no goal, and the Devils end up with. Well, I, I just – I know from just – the days of being a fan how to like look at things not clinically but just with like the heart and the passion that the view from outside towards the goal you see the white but I think that could be explained away by I think the puck being in the air the overhead you're right It, it you don't see that white between the puck and the red now that's all the technology they had they blew it up they looked at it um it was called no goal on the ice so what they need to do is clear confirmation that it was a goal, and there wasn't. Now, the question is, if they had called it a goal, what do you think they would have done? That's a different story. That's a great point. Uh, hard to know, because I didn't think there was any angle that clearly showed it was over. I know that you know that one angle it looked like it was over, and, and like I said, if I had to choose... You know, somebody said, hey, you have to make a decision one way or the other here, and it didn't matter if it was clear evidence or not, just your best guess. It seemed like there was that, you know, because when the puck goes on end, too, Don, that's another thing to consider. 
you know, when the puck goes on end, sometimes it stands straight up. It's over. It can be over the completely over the goal line. Where if it's, you know, if it's if it's flipped, you get a piece of the round disc that's still in contact with the, you know, with the goal line. So, uh, you know, it was it was as tough a call as you could find. I can tell you that. And you got yeah. in the end of the day, you got to give Mackenzie Blackwood a tough credit. Oh because, yeah, that's a heck of a save. I mean, just to get his leg over there and to keep that puck, uh, you know, make it at least close enough that it was that it was reviewed and it was turned determined that it was not in. Uh, I mean, wow, what a what a play! So it doesn't matter who goes to Boston and plays in goal for the Devil, whether it's Wedgwood or Blackwood. I mean, either guy now is I think a forty save. 40 plus game shutout against the Bruins. So just crazy. It's just an odd, an odd season. And that was uh, just another example of, uh, you know, how strange it's been. And then I can only tell you this, Don, in my house where my oldest son Brooks is a Devils fan and my youngest son Brody is a Bruins fan. Okay. It doesn't really, it doesn't make for a peaceful night. No, and I, and I think your son that's a Bruins fan has got to be a little, a little nervous. I keep thinking back to what you said a couple of weeks ago that, hey, listen, COVID's weird, right? You don't know how teams are going to recover from it. And clearly Boston is not whole, right? No Marchand for the last couple of games, and they had to have yep. two games postponed. And they've got they've got a little bit of a cushion but it's with all these games in hand, but they're just not really right right now. And I would think this gives an opportunity for the Flyers and the Rangers to maybe make up some ground here. Yeah, that's for the, for the Rangers. That's why the, the, the weekend was a really disappointing weekend for the Rangers because they had been playing better and uh, you know if they could have beaten Philadelphia again they, they, they move into fifth place in the standings and all of a sudden they are uh, you know trying to hunt down a Bruins team that is really in trouble right now so uh, very tough weekend from that standpoint from the Rangers but you know the good news for the Bruins is that they do have the games in hand and the teams behind them, in particular Philadelphia, has struggled even more mightily than they have. And that's another team that went through, you know, a significant COVID situation, right? When you know, in the lead up to the games in in Lake Tahoe, and they don't seem like they've really been right since then. So uh, it is uh, it's difficult to predict when you have this issue of uh, of a COVID circumstance going through your team or the number of members on your team. Uh, how you're going to be impacted coming out of it. But certainly, you know, not to say that Buffalo was going on to have a great year, but they have been uh, just a disaster after coming out of that protocol. Yeah, 17 straight games without a win. And, you know, the Rangers have them twice this week, so those are must-gets for the Rangers. And and let's talk about the blue shirts. I thought the timing was just so unfortunate for David Quinn, right? Because that's a tough spot for the Rangers, not to make excuses, but, you know, you're on the road, quick turnaround, 1 o'clock start on Saturday, noon start on Sunday. Capitals are waiting for you. It's a really good team that you would beat in three of the four times you faced them. That was a tough spot. I thought both teams played awful, but, you know, the Capitals ended up being the better (laughs) team, taking advantage of the breaks. But I thought the Rangers didn't give up in the third period, but I, I, I made the mistake. I went to Twitter when they were down 3 nothing after 2 and and there it is uh where are the where are the Quinn supporters now and, uh, and I just like I said to Dave cuz when I was calling the game I was like this is just you don't want to see David Quinn lose this game cuz it'll just start the brush fire of see see Quinn's back all of a sudden they lose a game uh they yeah. don't want to play for him which I guess they ignored the fact that Knobloch was on the bench so um he still yeah. could have had an influence I I I just don't know maybe you disagree 
that we should read anything into how well the Rangers play with Knobloch behind the bench as this is an indicator that maybe Quinn is losing the team? Well, I mean, I believe they lost to the Flyers on Saturday, and I don't think Quinn was behind the bench for that game. Right. right? True. um, And they lost to the – they they blew that lead against the Caps too. And he also had – you know, he had a win against Buffalo. I – I, listen, I'm on yeah, the I mean, side listen, of the righteous I, I think, here, I believe. I, yeah, I think that, you know, listen, talking about whether Knobloch has a future as a head coach in, in the NHL is a different conversation. I mean, this guy was on kind of the fast track, having done very well in the junior level and was an assistant in Philadelphia. And then when that whole thing blew up or blew up there, he kind of had to start fresh again. So I think that uh, Chris Knobloch could end up being a head coach at the National Hockey League level at some point in time. Now, you know, that, all that said, you know, I just think it's more coincidental than anything else with David Quinn being out, with uh, the schedule was favorable, uh, you know, Panarin was back from, uh, you know, the hiatus, and the Benajad has started to play well. You know, I just think a lot of those things came together at the same time, and you know, listen, if there's something more to it, we'll see it over time. I mean, the team will just take a nosedive, and uh, it'll be very obvious. But I don't think that's the case. I think that uh, it was more coincidental than anything else. But, um, you know, just these are things that happen sometimes, and, uh, you know, the Rangers will move forward. I mean, listen, this is a, a team that's got a chance to, you know, as, as much as I'm I, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I mean, with Boston and Philadelphia in the in the kind of mess they're in, I mean, uh, if the Rangers can can put together some wins here, they could be right in the mix. So, yeah. you know, we'll see how it plays out. But no, I, I think it's more coincidental than anything else. But I do think that Chris Knobloch is a pretty sharp young hockey guy and has a chance to become a head coach in this league at some point somewhere. And Kraftsoff's on his way. Just a matter of him being ready. You saw that with the Brendan Lemieux trade to the Kings for a fourth-round pick that they're they're making room. And you saw Blackwell is certainly somebody that could be a healthy scratch when that happens, step up and score a couple of goals. So, you know, they are obviously looking to see a lot of the kids um, and, and bringing craps off. So I, I, don't, I, I think they want to make the playoffs, but I think the main thing is to play well and build on something. I think Shesterkin coming back from his injury and how he played, even though he lost the game against Philly, uh, I, I thought he played very, very well. Made was it thirty five saves on Saturday, forty one saves on uh, on Thursday. So, yeah, I, I know the fans want to make the playoffs, and it'll be four long years without it. But I think they're looking at the the the, uh, the wider lens, and if they can get the young kids starting to play, getting minutes for for Kako's on a top line now, and Lafonier getting uh, trying to get some minutes, although he's bounced to the fourth line, but did score a goal. Yesterday, I, I think they'll look at that as progress, even if they miss the playoffs. Yeah, I don't think there's any question. I think when you're in that window of having a ton of prospects, and I'll tell you what, the Rangers do have a ton of prospects because they got about three or four more guys coming on defense as well. And as you mentioned, Kravtsov is, uh, is is with the group now, and we'll see him probably at some point in the lineup in the near future. So, uh, you know, that's going to be the thing that's going to be interesting to me, Don, is how. They continue, obviously, how they continue to develop these guys and which guys pop and which guys, you know, it's more of a struggle. But what they do in terms of using some of these assets, maybe to make a bigger play for a center iceman, a big time, you know, top franchise type centerman. I mean, the name that comes to mind right away, obviously, is, is Jack Eichel. But, 
you know, I think at some point in time they have a lot of wingers. They're going to have more than, you know, they're going to have more than enough defensemen, actually, when you look at some of these young guys, if they all get there. So uh, I'll be I'll be curious to see what uh, what Jeff Horton and company do over the next uh, you know couple of months certainly, but you know over the next you know twelve to eighteen months as as these kids start to move up the ladder a little bit and they try to you know they try to put the pieces in place and try to slot the team in such a way that they can really be a Stanley Cup contend legit Stanley Cup contender for you know, years to come because with all this young talent, they could position themselves to be a cup contender for, you know, what, eight or 10 years with the kind of players they have there. So I'll be curious to see how that continues to play out. And, you know, on another note, it's really good to see Zibanejad take off and because you can see what an impact it has when your top center starts to produce offense. Yeah, pretty, pretty amazing. Also, great game. Uh, last night between Chicago and Nashville. Nashville's completed the comeback now. They move into the fourth spot in the Central. They blew a two-goal lead. The brink, it's been great, 17-18 and 18 to tie it. Yoshi wins it with less than seven minutes to play. That, that was a fun game last night. Really good game, and Nashville has been red hot. Uh, I've kind of – it was it was interesting, Don, I guess it was two Mondays ago they had an afternoon game against uh, – Tampa, and uh, you know that's a tough spot. They're playing in Tampa, and and they played really well, and they played really hard, and they're missing some players. And at that time, Yossi was still out of the lineup, and I was really impressed with their performance on that particular day. And I was like, you know, if they can just bring that kind of work ethic to the rink every night, they're going to have a chance to win some games. And I didn't know they could kind of race up the standings as quickly as they have. I mean, Chicago has had some struggles and have had some tougher games. I mean, the schedule's just been tougher for Chicago and it's it's kind of played out, uh, you know, where it's been more difficult for them to get wins. Columbus, you know, they had a tough stretch. They had four straight games with Carolina. It started off okay, but then they lost two, and then they had just a lost weekend against the Red Wings where they, they dropped a pair of games in Detroit. And they really, you know, in the game uh, on yesterday afternoon, they didn't really – create much offense in the game. So, you know, it opened the door for the National Predators. But I've been I've been impressed with the way they've been playing. The Ely Tolvin and kid is starting to really come on and be a part of their group. Uh, you know, I think Michael Granlin, everybody's been talking about him being traded, which, you know, made sense. They were kind of, you know, lingering at the bottom of that division. And, uh, you know, watching him, he's played really hard. Maybe he's motivated by the fact that uh, people are looking at him, but he's been playing really hard. I just think I give them a lot of credit. And then UC Soros came back from injury and just, I mean, just was lights out good. Now, Pecorelli played in the game yesterday against Chicago, but, but Soros, who started the season, it was a struggle. He came back from this injury, I believe it was on March 18th, and boy, oh boy, he was, uh, he was terrific. So, so we'll see. That's going to be a scramble there for those last, that last spot in the Central because, you know, Dallas, while they had their struggles, they still do have you know, games in hand. They have four games in hand on, on Nashville, Chicago, and Columbus. They're currently six points out of that last playoff spot. So, if, you know, you win those games, you're ahead. You kind of leapfrog. But Dallas has been up and down. They've had a ton of injuries so far this year. So it'll be, uh, you know, that run to the end is going to be tricky for that four team. Now, the prize for that team is likely going to be to play Tampa Bay, although it could be Carolina as well. Neither of those are that appetizing a thought. But uh, you just want to get in 
for the playoffs. So that's going to be interesting to watch, and it's going to change the dynamic of the trade deadline too, Don, because we thought Nashville was going to be a seller. You know, maybe they're not a seller anymore. That's right. Uh, that's a great point. So, um, and then we'll see what happens with Chicago. I mean, we were all surprised by the way they played this year and what kind of resistance they can now put up. But that should be a fun race there uh, towards the end in the Central Division. I want to get your thoughts on this, EJ. Tonight, the the Sharks play host to the Wild. And Patrick Marlowe is going to be all alone in second place in games played. We'll break the tie with Mark Messier. Uh, You can make the case this is one of the most underrated players in the history of this sport. I mean, Marlowe does not get talked about among the greats in the game. And I'm not saying he's the greatest by all by any stretch, but this is a guy that will play the most games in the history of the sport. Before the season is over, he'll pass Gordie Howe. You know, he'll have, you know, well over 1,200 points. Doesn't have a cup, went to a final. Kind of obscured by Thornton all those years in San Jose. But just your thoughts on this guy that probably doesn't get talked about as much as he should. Well, he's had a great career. You know, he's had a great career, and he's been healthy for most of his career. He's a big man that skates really well, and he still skates really well, even now, you know, in the later, in the latter stages of his career. Um, the only thing I would say about it is, you know, Gordy Howe, that record, he's going to break that record, as you mentioned. And he's going to do it just kind of playing out the string in his career. In the last couple of years, he's kind of bounced around a little bit, and he really hasn't been much of a factor. Yeah. You know, when you think about the games, and I guess you can make the case a lot of guys at the end of their careers. I mean, I know watching Mario Lemieux at the end of his career in 2006, people forget that he was playing that long into his career. He played in, in the coming out of the lockup. He actually, out of the lockout, he actually played with Sidney Crosby for half a season. So, and, you know, certainly it was, uh, you know, he did at the end, it was, it was over. And, but Marlowe, because of his skating and his size has been able to, to kind of to stay in the league, but again, not be all that productive a player. And so while I acknowledge that he's had an unbelievable career, I do just, it does. I maybe it just is old school in me, but I, I, you know, to pass Gordie Howe and have that record as the guy who's played the most games in the National Hockey League, I don't know. It just makes me feel a little bit odd about it. Now, again, he's been a great, he's been a, he's had a great career. There's nothing else to say. But Gordie Howe is Gordie Howe. Yeah. Uh, Gordie Howe's last year, I think he was 52. He had 16 or 15 or 16 goals and 40 points. Now, it was a different league, and it was a little the points were easier to come by. But... I don't know. I just, I just, you know, again, Patrick Marlowe deserves all the accolades. I'm just, this is a personal thing for me as someone who just has that old school, little more old school mentality. And, right. you know, at the end of the day, Patrick Marlowe is going to break that record. So there's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> and it is interesting. <laughs> Probably blow it away, too. Uh, but yeah. what's interesting is that, just to your point, at the end of the, in the 18 19 season, in 82 games, 16 goals, 21 assists, 37 points. Not bad for a 39-year-old. But in the in the last uh, two years, tonight will be his 100th game since that season. And if he doesn't register a point, then through the 100 games since the close of the 2019 season, he'll have 13 goals and 15 assists. So he'd have 28 points in 100 games. So 
to your point, is that, yeah, he's he's compiling now. Uh, there's no question. This year, two goals, four assists for six points is a minus three in 33 games. But you're right. Yeah. He's not Mark Messier. He's not Gordie Howe, but he's probably deserves a little and bit he, more accolades than he gets. Yeah, for, yeah. for his even, whole career. You know, even Mess, even Mess at the end of his career. I mean, it, it's oh, yeah. hard. It's a hard league, and I think that the fact that that Patrick Marlowe in a league that's really, I mean, it's so much faster than it was certainly when Gordie played, and even when Mark played. For him to be able to still be competitive in those games and to be out, he scored the other night. He had a second goal of the season the other night. Is Really, something that to be impressive is impressive, and it's something you know. Again, the longevity that somebody could stay and play in the National Hockey League and be healthy enough to play this many games is a credit to them. So he's going to break it. He deserves all the kudos for it. He's had an amazing career to be able to do what he's done for so long. But any time a Gordy Howe record kind of goes away, I'm probably never all that happy about it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, no I, I'm with you. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, but all, also, you know, Mark Messier, considered the greatest captain of all time, missed the playoffs his last seven years of his career too. So, you know, the, you the end is always hard go. for all the great ones. But also to yep. Marlowe, yep. uh, tonight will be 888 consecutive games played too. So not just the fact that he has played. Uh, a lot of games, but also consecutive games, which puts him fourth on the list. Now, number three on the list is Keith Yandel, who the other night played in his 900th consecutive game, now up to 901. He'll pass Gary Unger this year, and if he's able to uh, stay healthy going into next year, he will have a chance to pass uh, Doug Jarvis. And I think this is an underrated uh, stat as well. Because we all talk about Cal Ripken and his Ironman streak of over 2,100 games played, but man, hockey's hard. <laughs> you know, uh, like you know, it's such a physical sport, and there's so many ways to get injured. And, yeah. and the great thing about Doug Jarvis is 964 consecutive games played. That's his career, right? From the start of his career to the end of his career, never missed a game, which is incredible. But uh, just just what Yandel's been able to do, considering EJ, when we talked at the beginning of the year. There was a chance that Quinville was going to have him be a healthy scratch. Yeah, and that would have been the end of that. So, yeah, I mean, I guess anybody who can play in that many consecutive games, there's an element of good fortune in there. There's an element of of mental and physical toughness that you have to get through a lot of things, no matter what your style of play is. I mean, you know, you can't hide out there. You're going to get dinged up. It's, It's going to take a toll on you. And, uh, you know, you got to give those guys credit who can have those, those streaks of, of such longevity. I feel for Andrew Cogliano, who is uh, with the Dallas Stars now, because he had a streak, a long streak, ended by suspension. Yeah, 830. And it was a suspension that I thought was kind of controversial in that I, I don't necessarily believe that, that he, ne- he should have got suspended. Like, he might have been able to, you could have fined him for what happened in that circumstance. And, but he was suspended, and it was unfortunate because of all those guys we're mentioning. You know, and, and, and I don't want to take anything away from any of them. But Andrew Cogliano was in the battle every night. I yeah. mean, he is in the battle. And for him to play that many consecutive games is really a credit to him. So uh, it's unfortunate that that streak had to end in such a manner. But... Uh, Again, you have to be fortunate, right? That's an element of good fortune. If he doesn't, you know, that, that hit happens, maybe he doesn't get suspended, you know, he continues playing. I mean, it just you have to you have to be fortunate to have streaks like this, and 
as you mentioned, it's really difficult to do it in the National Hockey League where the games are are physical and uh, any number of things could cause you to, to beat the game. Carolina is really been impressive came back from two goals down to beat the lightning uh they they seemed like very very legit and i know this is an organization that's pinched pennies in recent years just ask john forslund and chuck caton but yeah. rod brindamore should parlay this into a nice contract and people start to really pay attention he's really coming into his own uh the play of martin Na- uh, natchez who's been terrific for them yeah. Uh, just 22 years old. He was their um, first-round pick back in um, 2017, and he, he's flat-out becoming a star for them. Yeah, no doubt about it. He's been playing with uh, Sebastian Ajo, and those two guys have had a really special chemistry with one another. I mean, they've had the puck on the string. They've made a number of terrific plays with one another. We documented some of them on uh, our show NHL Now during the last week. Uh, just how impressive those two have been together. But I, I'll tell you, I love Carolina's roster. I think that they're that's as good a roster as you'll find. I mean, uh, they can compete with anybody. Uh, James Reimer played the other night, and that, you know that's my always been my area of concern with Carolina, is, is the goaltending going to be good enough when push comes to shove? And, uh, you know, Reimer gave up, I thought, kind of a stinker the other night. He lost, the one in his, he lost one around the net. He was kind of looking for it, couldn't get a glove on it, and Tampa was able to bury it and take that 2 nothing lead. But to Columbus, through Carolina's credit, they were able to rally in the second period, get three goals. And then even when Tampa struck quickly in the early third period to tie it, they were able to get the uh, eventual game winner. So uh, I really like their team. Raleigh's done a really good job. they got a lot of players, a lot of terrific players there. It goes back, some of it goes back to when Ron Francis was the manager with the players that they drafted and developed at that time. Since then, Don Waddell has come in. He's made some really good trades. I think he's, you know, him and the ownership group there, they do things a little differently in Carolina with the owner, Tom Dundon, very involved. But uh, you can't argue with the fact that they have built a really strong roster. And, uh, you know, I think they're going to go out and try to maybe even add, uh, you know, another, you know, right shot depth defenseman if they can before the trade deadline. Uh, the, the question will be, Come postseason, will it? You know, will Morazic be back healthy? Will he be good enough? Will Adelkovich, if he goes in there, the young guy who has played very well so far, if he goes in, will he be good enough? And then there's James Reimer, who has, you know, had his ups and downs in his career, and is quite frankly hasn't played well in big games. I mean, right. uh, you know, you just have to call it as you see it. He's had some struggles in some big games in his career, and that's kind of baggage. That unfortunately, he has to carry with him. So that's still an area of. Uh, you know, concern for me when you have to look down the other end in a four out of seven game series and you see, uh, you know, someone like uh, Vasilevsky, uh in a big spot. I mean, that's, that, that's a matchup where you want to feel a little bit more confident. But uh, it's a good group. And, you know, I would think that they'll try to get Roddy Brindamore signed sooner than later because if he becomes a free agent, Don, I'm sure that the, Carolina, the, the Seattle cracking with Ron Francis and, yes. and that group out there will certainly come calling, and they seem to have the financial wherewithal to, to make him a really good offer. I think that's one of the reasons why Seattle has yet to name a coach. Not that they're in any ne- necessarily any rush, but um, I think there are a couple of guys who are potential free agents that they want to see if they become available. And I think Ronnie Brindamore is probably number one on that list. EJ, this is a pleasure as always. We'll talk again next Monday.
You got it, my friend. Have a great week. All right, don't forget, NHL Now, NHL Network, 4 to 6 Eastern. Thank you. Watch it. Enjoy <laughs> it. Consume it. Uh, watch it. All right. That is the great, and I mean great, EJ Raddick. Can throw anything at him. Anything at him. See, that's what I look at with guests. Like, I hate the guests. I'm not going to name any names. They want to know, or what are we going to do? You know we record this, right? So I could have EJ on, and EJ could go, well, let me know what we're going to talk about. No, he, I'll throw anything at him. He's got an answer. You know why? Because he's all about hockey, and that's why we have him on once a week here on the podcast. All right, a busy Monday in the NHL as we've got seven games and some very important ones, especially this Islander-Penguin game in Pittsburgh. Islanders played one of their worst games of the year the last time they played Pittsburgh. So we'll see if the Islanders can bounce back as they've lost first place to Washington now, 22-9-4, Pittsburgh 22-11-2, as both teams continue to impress. Sabres, oh, 15-2 in their last 17. They almost beat Boston. They had a lead couldn't finish it off, lost in regulation back on Saturday, taking on a Philadelphia team that finally cracked the code on the New York Rangers with their win on Saturday, 2-1. to one. And what a great um, moment for uh, Sam Moran, who had been just so injured, so many knee problems. He gets his first National Hockey League goal, and it turns out to be the game winner with 427 to go in the third period against the Rangers on Saturday. So we'll see if the Flyers could take advantage of just a Buffalo Sabre team that's completely falling apart. Should have asked EJ about his thoughts on Eric Stahl getting traded to Montreal. I thought that maybe the uh, Sabres could have gotten a little bit more considering the, the uh Sabres did eat some of Saul's salary. Oilers and the Leafs, that was a good game on Saturday, which Toronto came back from 3-1 down in the third one in overtime on an Austin Matthews goal. Uh, then we got a few late games, Ducks and the Avalanche from Colorado. Colorado coming off that uh, two-game series against Vegas in which they won in regulation, then lost in overtime on a Pacioretty goal. Kings and the Golden Knights from Vegas. Kings trying to make the playoffs and also at 10 o'clock tonight, Jets and the Flames from Calgary as that rivalry will continue as the Flames got pretty well on Saturday, winning by a couple of goals against Winnipeg. And then, as we mentioned, at 10.30, Sharks and the Wild. And if Patrick Marlowe plays, and under every indication he will, he will be all alone, number two on the list for consecutive games, uh, or, or not consecutive games played, games played in the National Hockey League, which is pretty amazing. So he will pass Mark Messier. He's in a flat-footed tie right now with Messier for games played at 17:56. So tonight will be 17:57. That'll put him 10 games away from Gordy Howe. So then 11 would put him number one. And I hear what EJ saying. It's going to just be odd when you take a look at the consecutive games played. Right, right now it's Howe number one, Messier and Marlowe two, Yager four, Ron Francis five, Joe Thornton six, Mark Recchi seven. Hey, Joe Thornton's still playing too. He's at 16:58. Chelios at eight with 16:51. Dave Anderchuk at 16.39. Scott Stevens at 16.35. I mean, all those guys are in or going to the Hall of Fame, and so is Patrick Marlowe. But i, I got to be honest with you, to agree with EJ, when you look at the list of the 10 names that I mentioned, Marlowe may be number 10, and for him to have the most games played ever is crazy. Now, Gordy Howe's number of 17.67 does not include the games he played in the WHA, but he also played till he was 53 years old, so uh, it is kind of odd. And of the um, points produced of the top 10, you know, how obviously ridiculous at 1850, Messier at 1887, Yager at 1921, Francis at 1798, 
Thornton at 15-21 and still counting. Recchi at 15-33. Um, and then Dave Andertruck at 13-38. Now the defensemen, you know, Stevens with 9.08 and Chelios with 9.48. But of the forwards, you know, Marlowe's at 11.94. So he's a good couple of hundred back of them. So it's just odd that the guy that's probably number 10 of the top 10 games played will actually be number one with a bullet because if he plays the rest of the games this year, he'll blow past Gordy Howe. And I think this will probably be it for Marlowe. Kind of came back to San Jose to close out his career. He's 41 years old, but heck, you never know. I'm 53, so I love the fact when guys play until they're blue in the face. I mean, they don't want to give it up. I love that Yager continued his career the way that he did. I love the fact that Chelios continued his career the way that he did. I was so honored to actually call uh, a game that uh, Chelios did when he was with the Thrashers at the end of his career. If you remember, played till he was 47 years old. Crazy stuff. Might even be 48. I got to look it up. But um, just amazing careers for those guys. And congratulations to Marlowe, all alone in second place tonight when they dropped the puck in San Jose. All right, a little bit of news. I don't know if anybody's been following it um, outside of New York, but if you listen to the Michael K. Show, we're expanding the Michael K. Show from 3 to 7 to 2 to 6.30. So my day is going to be starting a little bit earlier when you consider the prep and, and our meetings and everything else, even earlier than that. So it's kind of put a little bit of a burden on doing game misconduct because it just takes up a lot of time now that we're extending the K show and also, you know, still doing Rangers after um, the K show. So it just makes the day a little bit longer. We've already scaled down game misconduct to three days a week, doing it Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Uh, but for the time being and pro- for the rest of the season, I think I'm going to cut it down to just Mondays and Fridays just to kind of give it a, a little break, let it breathe a little bit just for me. Um, but still, we'll do it two days a week. We'll still have every Monday with EJ. We'll still do Friday with the top five of the week. We're just going to cut it down a little bit just for my own sanity. So game misconduct will continue, but we're just going to do it the two days a week on Monday and Friday. But if something does break, something does happen, of course, we can always uh, change that. So we'll be back again on Friday. So get ready for the top five, and we will talk to you then. This was the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca.